What's going on, everybody? Happy Wednesday, and welcome to another episode of the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast. Here we are, episode four, ready to rock and roll. But before we get into today's episode, I want to give a major shout out to one of my best friends, Abigail McShane, for starting her very own business and her own bakery service called Martha's Sweet Treats. A huge shout out to her. I've known her since fifth grade. We've been best friends for a very long time. So I've actually gotten the chance to try some of these cookies and baked goods. And let me tell you, if you are in the Southern California area, you have to hop on this train. Her baking is unbelievable. Her mother's recipes are to die for. So I uh, encourage you all to go follow Martha's underscore sweet treats. Again, that's Martha's underscore sweet treats. Abigail, big props to you for starting your own business. I absolutely love it. And to all my California friends out there um, in, in and around the wildfires, I just hope that you are staying safe and staying healthy during this. So I wish you guys all the best. Uh, but let's get into this week's episode. So I'm super excited about this week's episode and the guests that we have on today. Uh, this man is a big part of, has always been a big part of my life um, during my time at Providence College. And I've learned so much from him, not only as a student athlete, but as a graduate and a young man moving forward from my time at Providence. So we are talking today with Vice President and Athletic Director of Providence College, Bob Driscoll. And I thought Bob would be a great guest to have on this week, just given the current state of college athletics and how we've seen the NCAA um, answer this pandemic. Obviously, still a lot of questions to be answered from student athletes, from parents, from coaches, from organizations. But we talk about uh, not only what he's doing for Providence during this pandemic, but also what he's done at Providence in terms of diversity and inclusion. I think as I was wrapping up my time at Providence, it was a major, major uh, movement that Bob had put forward in continuing to make sure Providence was the most respected athletic program um, in the NCAA. So I know that's a huge goal of his most respected hundred percent graduation and competing for championships. Those are the three main things that Bob has always um, focused on and has tried to install at Providence. So really, really exciting interview for everyone to listen about just um, building something from the ground up. Because that's exactly what Bob did with Providence. He came in and it was nothing like it is today. And so really to get to hear this story, it's really something special. So without further ado, here is Bob Driscoll. Awesome. I want to welcome on a very special guest to the podcast, a man that I've looked up to for quite some time, um, a man that I've worked closely with um, during my time at Providence College. He is the vice president and athletic director at PC. Bob Driscoll. Bob, how are things going? How, how, how's your day been? You've been quite the busy man as of late. <laughs> I've been zooming my life away, Jerry. It's not like the old days where I got to hang out with you at the pool or go down and have our breakfast, but uh, working hard to get our student athletes back in Friartown. Yeah, that's. I definitely want to start there. Just kind of, I mean, college athletics took an absolute 180. Um, I mean, you were right in the middle of it, right before the Big East tournament. The men's team was really getting ready to to fire, I mean, they were firing all, all cylinders. It was a lot of tourney talk, a lot of Big East championship talk, and it stopped on a dime. How, like, take me through these kind of past three months, you know, March, April, and May, and what you've been doing, and who, like the, the communication that you've had with the Big East, with the NCAA, what that's been like. Well, first of all, I can say it's probably the shortest 
hardest and longest four months of my life because it changed on a dime. And I have vivid memories of being at the Big East tournament. We literally were on the bus to go play the game. And I had been on the phone most of the morning with the Big East and with the NCAA. And they said, no, all systems go. And if you remember correctly, um, the play-in games had played the night before and were playing that morning. And then I got a call saying, everything's off. They're shutting it down. Um, there's a pandemic and we needed to get out of New York City. And I remember calling the, the players, the student athletes into the room. We took them off the bus and we told them, and you know, many of them started to cry uh, because for the seniors, that was over. And right. at the time we didn't know we weren't gonna be able to go to the NCAA tournament, but I had a good feeling that that was the case. So it was really a very, very sad moment, but it wasn't just men's basketball. The cross team right. was six and one. The uh, tennis team was in Florida. The softball team was in Florida. So a lot of yeah. people really had their careers cut short. But with people dying, it seems insignificant. But you know, as an athlete, when you have a dream taken away that you've worked so hard that you'll never get back, it's a it's a painful experience for him. And I really feel bad for him. Yeah, certainly a, a tough pill to swallow and one that you weren't really um, ever expecting to. It's not like it was an injury or, I mean, this is something that was out of your control, out of anyone's control. And like, as I, as I looked back at my time as a student athlete, I was just so grateful that to have that opportunity and I can't even fathom or even come to word, or, you know, bring the words to, to say like what that must be like for them. Um, it, it, it's definitely a, a new experience and hopefully, you know, in time, it'll, it'll get better. But what do you, what do you think is next? Uh, you know, you, you, we joked about it a little earlier. We're, you know, we're zooming our lives away. And as a man that was really kind of, or still is very much involved in, you know, what their student athletes are doing their day to day. How is it? What's, what do you think is really next for college athletics or what you're seeing on your end? Well, the first decision was to get all the students back on campus, which we're planning to do, but it'll be a very different experience because we talked about testing them before they arrived on campus, testing them once they arrive. And if you uh, test positive, you have to go into isolation. So we've been trying to work out the details necessary to bring all of our student athletes back to be able to compete. And uh, we have a call tonight with the other Big East student athletes, we, uh, coaches, and then we have a call with the presidents this Thursday to really look at how safe is it for us to be able to compete. You've seen what's happened in the last couple of days with Major League Baseball and yeah. basketball and hockey and to some extent college football. And, you know, you, the, the people are coming down with this all over and they're, they're spending probably hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, we have a really good plan, but I'm not convinced we'll be able to pull it off just because what, of what's happening around the country. The example would be right now, we've got about 30 international students. You might've had some on the yeah. They can't even get back into the country. And right. if you're coming from the 23 states that are earmarked as hotspots, if you come to Providence, you have to quarantine for 14 days. So I think it's really complex. Uh, I think until we actually get, you know, an inoculation for this virus, sports as we know it will not be the same no i, I, I think take six months to a year to longer yeah. so it's yeah. it's really sad but it's um that's just the reality that we're in what i told our student athletes the day they left is 
look at it as if this is a growth mindset between the day you leave and when you come back, what are you going to do on your own to make yourself more competitive and more productive? And don't just sit there and eat bonbons and, <laughs> and drink beer and complain <laughs> that, hey, the world is not fair. You know, right. I told our student athletes, Friartown's built for this. You know, you were great student athlete here and worked hard um, and built a really successful career and those things you'll take with you. So that's exactly that's kind of my honest assessment, but it changes day to day, Jared. Yeah. And coach white won't stand for the bonbons either. <laughs> <laughs> no, that... Do you remember the sign across his wall? What did it say? Oh gosh. Uh, remember it? Fat birds don't fly. Was it? Well, no, he has a new one. That was probably one, but he couldn't get away with it. This was, uh, no one ever drowned in sweat. That's it. Right. Yes. Yep. I like That's true. Better, <laughs> I, I think I've gotten that one a couple of times. <laughs> awesome. Well, I, I, you know, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about how it all started for you. You know, I don't want to go too all the way to the beginning because I don't know if we have all the time, but you know, you're, you're a native of West, West Concord, Massachusetts. You grew up playing football, ice hockey, baseball at Carlisle High School. Was your family always big on sports? Was that like, what was the, what was like, what was it like growing up in the Driscoll household? Was it always sports driven? Wherever, was everyone involved in sports? Well, my dad was, my dad was a working class guy. He fought in World War II and he was an all-state football player and an all-state uh, hockey player and had scholarships to go anywhere he wanted. But he actually turned them down uh, to go fight in World War II and he fought on the USS Randolph as a gunner and I always admired and respected him for doing that for his country, but he gave up what was a great opportunity. Then he married my mom, they had children, but I'm a namesake. I'm Robert George Driscoll Jr. And I've always driven to kind of fulfill what he didn't have the opportunity to do. And I was blessed with his athletic genes and I was completely driven. Uh, I had two goals. I either wanted to be a professional athlete or I wanted just to be a high school teacher and coach and unfortunately I didn't get to play professionally but uh, I did end up coaching and teaching and this is my 46th year in college athletics so yeah it was it was important to me and I learned a lot of my mental toughness and grit and I inherited his genes so uh, that uh, I always wanted to be the best I could be. Yeah definitely and you, you know you go on to to play ice hockey at Ithaca College where you led the team in scoring for three seasons but that wasn't enough for you. So you joined the baseball team and did that for two seasons. Um, you know, I'm fresh out of college athletics. What was your time management like? Because if I played two sports, I don't know if I'd have time for class. You know, it's interesting. I think back at that now, and, and I enjoyed college, mm. but it was not a big party for me. Now, trust me, I yeah. had my parties, but yeah. I also lived in the fire station because they paid for my room and board. And so a lot of the hockey players from Cornell and Ithaca live together so if the alarm went off at three in the morning i get to slide down the pole jump on the back of the truck and 10 degrees below zero oh, yeah. go, go attack the fire but it just seemed normal to me and i think i had eight o'clock classes every day but you know what it taught me it taught me mental toughness and discipline and i was around a bunch of other guys that were highly motivated and i think back now and i think my coaches and teachers taught me what i needed to do to be successful in life. And uh, yeah, I didn't have any downtime. And I, I've been that way my whole life. I just, when I have time, I'm, I'm working or doing something that I think is productive. I'm, I don't lay around much. 
Yeah. No, you don't. Um, from the from the four years I was with you, I, I don't think I ever saw you sit down <laughs> unless you were told to. You know, but, it's interesting. I've got I I probably would have been medicated as somebody with ADD as a young kid. That was right. My obsessive energy, right? Right. Exactly. And then you know, so after college, you you studied physical education in college. You got your master's in in the psych, psychology of sports. And you you'd mentioned earlier that the the dream was either to go pro or to coach high school. Did you ever imagine becoming an athletic director for a top D1 school? I know you you had a stint at Union and then you went to Mills and then uh, Cal Berkeley, you know, a big Pac-12, used to be Pac-10, now Pac-12, big school. Um, what was it like, was that the goal? Well, it's interesting. My goal was to be the best I could be at the level I was at, right? And so I coached for six years and on the East Coast, but I had a dream. I wanted to live in California because I visited once. My aunt lived in Southern California on the beach in, in Newport, uh, Southern yep. California. I was I went swimming there on Christmas Day when I was a junior in high school. I had this aha feeling like someday I'm going to be here. So after I spent six years coaching hockey, just freezing my butt off, I decided <laughs> I'm moving west. So I got a job. I was the first athletic director at a Division three school called Mills College in Oakland, California. Yeah. And everybody thought it was crazy to go there, but I thought, you know what? I could learn how to be an athletic director at 28 at a Division three school, make tons of mistakes, and no one would ever know about it. I did that for six years, and then right down the road was the University of California. I'll tell you an interesting story. I was in Berkeley walking down the street, and I had a good friend, and he, and he said, let's walk by the personnel office. And there was a, there was a job announcement for an associate AD at the, at the University of California. He said, you should apply for that job. I said, I'll never get that job. I'm a division three AD. He said, you can get the job. So I applied for it and actually got the job. And the lesson I learned is you have to surround yourself with people that can see gifts in you that you can't see in yourself. And then that trick trajectory changed everything. And I worked my way up through it, was the acting AD and thought I had the job. But, you know, I was just wanting to be good at what I did. And then I had the opportunity and they didn't give it to me. And that's when I decided, you know what, I'm going to go someplace that would appreciate my skill set and I moved back home to be close to my mom and dad and yeah. like you said earlier I've, I've been here almost 20 years. I, was Berkeley um, everything that you hoped and dreamed as far as the weather goes because as a SoCal kid myself I do know that NorCal is not nearly as nice as SoCal in my opinion but <laughs> I would agree with that but I understand I was coming from Schenectady New York where they got yeah. 200 inches of snow with an average average uh, temperature of like 10 degrees so it was nirvana <laughs> to me Derek because there was no there was no snow but I loved Cal my wife went mm-hmm. there my daughter went there you know what if, if they had offered me the job I probably still would be there today because at 80,000 people in the football stands got to play yeah. in UCLA and had great tradition and so um, I feel like I have two homes I have there and I have here but but Friartown is my real home. I was gonna say, thank goodness they didn't take, they didn't give you the job because uh, I don't know where we would be without you. But uh, so let's talk about your your time at Providence. It's been, like you said, it's been almost twenty years. When you first got to PC and you sat, you know, sat at your desk first day, what was the first goal? Like, what was the the, the one thing on Bob Driscoll's list that this needs to get done first? Was it the facilities? Was it the coaches? Or, you know, what was the number one goal coming into Firetown? Well, I'm a person that likes things in order, clean, order, painted, fresh. And I just left an $80 million building we built at Cal and I walked <laughs> into my office and it was 55 years old and I don't think it had ever been painted. So the first 
first thing I did, because I always say, you've heard me say that you have one chance to make a first impression, right? So I, on a Friday, told everybody, I got two huge dumpsters and put them out in front of, by the pool. And I said, uh, I'm going to buy pizzas and we're going to, if it's not nailed down, we're going to throw it out because it was trash <laughs> everywhere. It just looked horrendous. And so we had a cleanup day and we threw everything out. And then the next Friday I got paint brushes and we started painting everything black, white, and silver. Um, we weren't supposed to do it. The union said they were supposed to do it. I said, we well, haven't done it in 55 years. So somebody's going to do it. So it started with baby steps. Jerry, there wasn't a picture on the wall. You know what it looks like now. There yeah. wasn't a picture anywhere. You wouldn't even know it was an athletic department. So, you know, I think I took 200 bucks out of my pocket and I found some pictures and we framed them. And then the coaches started taking pride in it. And then we started building it. And then one day we had what was called a conversation of possibility. And I said, if we could create the greatest athletic department in the country, what would it look like? And you can't talk from a limitation. And we started talking about, well, we need new buildings. We need new scholarships. We need uh, better student athletes like yourself. We need infrastructure. So we started creating a list and we started checking it off bit by bit. And we would celebrate every time we achieved something. And then we went from having nothing. And I think now we probably have the nicest facilities at our level of anybody in the country. I would agree with that. I, I, I mean, I think I, I liked what you said earlier, just like, you know, don't, you, you just said like, you just left an $80 million building at Cal, a, 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 a D1 powerhouse in the PAC 12. Um, but then you go to PC and like, you don't want people to think like, Oh, just because you're Providence college, you, you, you have limits. Right. And I think you've done a really good job and a really um, exceptional job at, at, breaking those limits. I think as a, if you even want to call it a D1 mid-major school now, I don't even know if you could use that word, but turning it into what it is today, I think that that speaks volume. And I know it took time. I mean, look at where, you know, you, like you said, your first day um, in early 2000s, now 2020, you know, you have this D1 powerhouse, but it took, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort and you have to have a lot of buy-in from the people on your staff and from the people that you work closely with. And I, did that take like a lot of time to build or was it kind of like day one, everyone was, was ready to go with you? Well, you know, you have to have credibility. Everybody looked at me as this guy that came from Cal and, yeah. you know, had everything out there. He must be a hippie. <laughs> Worked for a little while and leave. I was using it as a stepping stone. So people didn't really know me. I mean, I think they judged me because I wore nice suits. And at the time I was young and fit and, probably didn't fit into the code, but I'm a working class guy. I mean, I worked mm -hmm. on moving trucks, bailed haze and shoveled snow and I did whatever it took. So I, I knew what it took. And it, it's about having a vision and really believing in yourself and having a work ethic that is, you know, at, a, at such a high level that people want to get on the bus and you've got to do it because actions speak loud in the words, Jerry, I can stand up in front of groups say, we're going to do this stuff. And then I come to work at right. nine o'clock you got to be the first one in, the last one to leave. So you're building a culture. And when you do that, people get off the bus because they don't, they can't keep pace. And then what happens, you get other people like yourself and people that are excited, then they jump on the bus and they want to be part of something bigger than themselves. So I think it starts with a vision, then it starts with your personal leadership. And then it's about getting people enrolled 
in this vision and then it just it go, but it's 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 pounding rocks for a long period of time before you ever get anything and you never arrive right just because you right. win a national championship the next year you got to try to do it again so you got to be really competitive at the end of the day if you're not competitive you know and you can't do it right you got to be mm -hmm. really you got to really want to be successful yeah i think i think like you said winning a national championship i think the hardest thing to do after that is to to you know regain the the throne that's the that's you got the target on your back so just because you win it doesn't mean you're done you got to keep going <laughs> but right. um i i think you know another emphasis that, that you focus on that maybe goes a little bit more not as noticed i know you've i mean the facilities over the years have built up and new facilities and new grounds but i think the the emphasis that you put on your student athletes and your interactions with those student athletes really goes maybe not as noticed because it's not right in front of, you know, it's not on, you know, it's not in the buildings, it's not in the campus, but did that stem from your collegiate background and playing sports, your focus on having that one-to-one -one relationship with your student athletes across all the different sports? It's the most thing important to me. Like when we used to have breakfast, you and your teammates would energize me. It's where yeah. I get my purpose for what I do. So I'm a, I'm a teacher. Here's how I define myself. I'm a teacher, I'm a mentor, I'm a coach. And I'm a, I'm a leader. So being around young people like you and other student athletes allows me to fulfill my purpose on this planet, right? So if you're not having a great experience and I'm not learning from you and you're not graduating and being the best you can be, then I'm, I'm failing at my job. And I'm here today because other people, when I was your age and younger, invested in me, that showed right. me the right way, held me accountable, pushed me beyond my limits and so now it's my responsibility to give back. And when I, as I sit here with you and you graduated and you were a great leader on the team and on SAC, and now you've got a great job. And the fact that you appreciate what Providence helped you become fulfills why I do what I do. I can't tell you how proud I am of, of you. You're part of the fabric of this. And there's hundreds and probably thousands of other young men and women just like you. That's... 100%. That's kind of the legacy. That's the juice that makes it all worthwhile for me. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I've always had a, a warm spot for Providence, and I always will. And and I I, I thank Providence every day for turning yep. it in, turning me into who I am today. But yep. um, a big thing, I think, another big initiative that happened during the 2017-2018 season, Providence adopted the "You're Never Alone in Friartown," an initiative that really brought on to the fight of the stigma of mental health and student athletes kind of creating a, a more inclusive environment where student athletes can speak on their minds and speak about mental health as, as you know you've been athletic, in athletics for over 40 years how has that stigma of mental health in student athletes of like you got to be the tough one you got to be the ones that, that don't show you know that don't show emotion how has that changed over time and how has providence really been on the forefront of changing that stigma well i've experienced it personally in my own life I've Having grown up, unfortunately, in an alcoholic family, uh, and also having two daughters who one is as is, uh, is bipolar, another another daughter who has some um, some drug and alcohol related issues, which are genetically driven. Mm, uh, right. So having lived through that and, and and trying to get them help, and now thankfully they're they're healthy, they're sober, they're living a great life, and so I I know. I know the dysfunction of mental illness and there's, it's much more prevalent. If, if I can have two of my three children who were brought up and college educated, one went to Cal and one went to Michigan and they were athletes and had all, 
all of the support system around them. If it can happen to them, it can happen to anybody. So it's, it's important to me for us to recognize that and not to have a stigma around it. We need to feel comfortable enough to talk about it. If you had cancer, you'd speak, hey, I got cancer, I need to go help. But as an athlete, if you say, I'm, I'm, I'm scared, I'm insecure, I have an alcohol problem or a, a drug problem, you don't want to show that because it's a sign of weakness or that you have failed somehow. So we need to create a safe space at Providence that allows people to be here they are. We all got issues, man. That's life. But if you're afraid to ask for help, the ultimate end result, and we've seen it in sport and a lot of walks of life, people commit suicide or do something that's really bad for them or the people they love. And so for us to create that environment, and I'm really proud of John Rock and the people there, that's important. It's, it's more important than winning games. Yeah. It's, it's, it's life and death in a lot of times. And I want us to be a leader in that. And I want us to feel comfortable about saying, hey, that's why, that's why I share that. I got my own issues. I want people to know just because you're successful in life doesn't mean you don't have your, your demons you're dealing with. That's called right. being a human being. There's not a person on this planet that, that's walking through it unscathed, right? So let's absolutely. be honest about it. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think, you know, especially as a, as a program in men's basketball and ice hockey and, you know, the TV exposure that you, that Providence has gotten over the years, I think as a fan, you see the outside, you don't, you don't necessarily see what's going on internally. I mean, you certainly don't. I mean, especially as a student athlete, the fans only saw the races or the games or the meets, whatever it was. They didn't know I had X, Y, and Z assignments due in an hour after I get out of the pool or whatever was going on. And I think, I think that's kind of where that whole thing stemmed was student athletes and athletes in particular, you know, professional or not, like it's just, they do their sport and that's it, but there's so much more to life. You know, I, um, I talked to Garrett Gomez, you know, um, about his life, his story and how things have changed for him. But one thing he mentioned was there, there's so much life after sport that, you know, it yeah. really can't, you really can't dwell on what's going on internally, but I think that's what the fans see. So they think like, Oh, then that's all that they're going to be. That's all that they're going to become. But there's so much more than just, than just, you know, ice hockey, swimming, basketball, et cetera. And just the pressure you have to compete, you know, the feeling you had game day, your heart is racing. You've got to compete. That's a lot, a lot of stress, right? Mm. It's a lot of stress. And then by the way, you got to compete against the best, men and women in the classroom who don't have to spend would you spend three hours in the pool a day maybe yeah sometimes <laughs> more yeah <laughs> weight training yeah and travel and leadership on sack but all those things allow you to be really successful in life because your level to of ability to handle challenging times you, you're you're gritty and tough and you're able to do that and i think sport teaches that Especially swimming. Mm-hmm. Swimming is one of the most disciplined sports. When I was at Cal, I was in charge of the swim program. These guys and men were Olympics people. You guys work just as hard. They just happen to have a God-given gift that took them to oh, another yeah. level. That's the I difference. appreciate that. <laughs> There's no difference in the heart. Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? no, definitely. I, yeah, I had a lot of friends that went on to swim at Cal. And I mean, that program is is cream of the crop. But I think the drive of any swimmer at any level, age group, high school, college, it takes a lot of grit to stare at a black line for that long, but <laughs> you know, so, you know, there's not, you know, there's no goals, there's no touchdowns. It's, it's just whoever gets their hand on the wall first. But um, another thing I wanted to mention, you know, in October of 2019, right after I graduated, you brought on Nick Saylor, a former Friar, you know, soccer standout to be the director of training and education for diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
And I think there's, this is something we're seeing a lot more in, in NCAA and hopefully a lot more in, in, in division one and division two, II, division three programs. But I kind of wanted to give you the floor. I know this was kind of the culmination of a lot of things going on, a lot of, a lot of moving parts and a lot of people working hard to get this. Um, but I just wanted to let you kind of speak to the kind of the importance of this position and why it's so important for programs to have such, such a similar type of program or position. Yeah, now more time than ever, what I'm really uh, proud of from my staff is that we, I think we were a little ahead of the curve when we mm -hmm. had our strategic plan uh, two years ago. We talked about a mission statement that allows young and men, men and women to go out and impact the world in a positive way. And we did a climate study, I think, three years ago. I, yes. I was under the illusion because I always had a lot of African-American friends, both men and women. I hired an African-American coach and most of the teams I've been around at Cal were men and women of color that I thought I had an understanding of, you know, what's going on in their world. And then one day I had a sit down with the new women's basketball staff who came from St. Bonaventure and they started telling me what, what their experiences were and what the student athletes experiences were. And I was heartbroken over that. I really was. I went, really? That's what's happening? So we did a climate study, and although I thought we were doing a good job, we weren't anywhere near doing a good job. And the first thing I realized that we need to educate ourselves. And so we created with a college a position for DEI that um, luckily we were able to bring Nick Saylor back, great student yeah. athlete here who was teaching in the inner cities of, uh, of Baltimore. And he came back and really has worked with us. And as we've witnessed the murders of, of George Floyd and many other uh, men and women of color, um, we really need to be on the front end of this and use sport to stand up and, and be anti-racist just because you're, you say you're not racist. Well, you need to be anti-racist. You need to, particularly the people in power, the people like me yeah. who are privileged white people in leadership. Now, I, I never thought I was privileged because I was a working class kid, but the mm -hmm. fact I walked through the world as a white male, various privileges come to me that men of, of color don't get, and particularly when they're driving down the street. So I wasn't aware of that, you know? And so Nick has really educated me on that. Now we have a long way to go. In fact, I just yeah. got off a, a Big East uh, uh, DEI call, what we're doing at that level. But we're just on the beginning front end of what's gonna be a lifetime of work to make up for the 400 years of inequity that's happened. And, and I'm happy to see it see it happen. We got a long way to go, but I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to speak about that because I want us to be the be as good as we can at that. No, I I think it's I think it's something really powerful and something that I didn't necessarily think I was going to get too much involved in. I was actually sitting you know sitting on the board between the the staff and the student athletes that were kind of uh, brainstorming these ideas and bringing them to the forefront. And like you said, as a as a as a white male. Um, it was certainly eye-opening. I was sitting in a room with, you know, athletes who had come from much different backgrounds than myself. Um, and I, I think to have those conversations, it was certainly hard because you're, you, you know, like you said earlier, like you never want to, like, I, it's not about being not racist. It's being anti-racist and being the ones that are actually stepping up and stopping it before, it, you know, before it festers, before it keeps going. But I think you brought up a really good point in that, you know, so much good can be going on in an athletic department, winning national titles, Big East titles, but to take a step back and do that climate survey and understand what's going on in my department internally, what's going on in the student athlete's life internally, 
you know, like, like we said earlier, like there's so much going on externally that everyone sees, but to really bring it to the forefront of what's going on inside is really important. And I think hopefully a lot of departments and, and athletic programs are doing the same. Yeah, I think they're starting to model it now because of what's happening in the world. That's great. But part of leadership is, can you see what's around the corner? Can you have a vision of anticipation? And I think we did that with You're Never Alone in Town, And then you saw a lot of people talking about mental health or, you know, our work on um, anti-racism. And, you know, I'm not saying we, we're at the starting line, but I think we saw that coming. But that, for me, as a person who is turning 68 and lived more life than anybody in my department and have been at more schools, I've experienced things that, I, as a teacher, want to share, I wouldn't have been in that position 10 years ago because I hadn't evolved enough to know. But I've always come from the premise that, and, and you, you know what it is, most respect on 100% graduation, compete for championship. And that most, most respected to me is everybody needs to be treated with dignity and respect. And that's what you young men and women did. And I'm really proud of the culture because I think it's taken years to build but you young people have then passed it on to the next group and the next group. And the fact you and I having this conversation and Nick's working for us now shows you it's working. Yeah. I, 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 when I saw that announcement, I was so excited for him personally. I mean, he, he's been one of my favorite student athletes from PC. Still think, I, I still think he has one of the best soccer goals of all time. I mean, like <laughs> I, I still watch the highlight of him kicking that thing. And I was like, did, did you really think that was going to go in? <laughs> Like, yeah, no, I, I think the wind sucked it. I was behind it. Started this way, the wind caught it, then it went this way, then it went up in the corner, but it still went in. No, one of the best, one of the best college, one of the best college sporting events I've ever seen, for sure. Um, but kind of wanted to. Speaking of that, I kind of wanted to change pace a little bit here. You know, during your time at PC, I'm not going to list all the accolades because then we would run out of time. But you've seen two national titles: one with women's cross country, one with men's ice hockey a Big East men's, men's uh, championship in men's basketball, a college cup appearance in men's soccer. And like I said, a number of Big East championships and especially uh, in team sports, but then even individually speaking, right? You had Emily Sisson, three-time national champion. Do you have like a, a memory or I don't want to say a favorite one, but one that sticks out most vividly in your head over the past 20 years that is really kind of like, you'll never forget or you'll never ever, you know, you'll take away thinking like, wow, that was, that was the one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty easy memory for me. So I was a hockey player, right? And it got me a scholarship to get an education, which was the first in my family. My hero growing up in Boston, I grew up in West Concord, 15 miles from the city, was Bobby Orr, probably mm -hmm. the greatest defenseman ever to play the game. And he was, he was with the Bruins when I was playing in high school. And in fact, I had just come home from my recruiting trip, walked in the door and saw when he scored the goal against the Blues in 1970 to win the Stanley Cup. In fact, I have the picture on the wall over there that he signed. Yeah. Um, so to win a national championship at the Boston Garden against the most successful hockey team in all of New England, if not won five or six national championships, against the Boston University Terriers in front of my family and friends after being down three to one and the win it will, will be, the great, be the greatest moment in sport for me in my life by far. It mm -hmm. seemed like a dream. 
And I remember getting Father Shanley over the side, and I have a picture <laughs> of him. And he said, they asked him, what's his favorite memory in 15 years? He said, winning the national championship. I have a picture of my arm wrapped around him with our hands in the ears. That was five years ago. Yeah. Um, and over to the right, you can see the national championship. Yeah. It, it, it's a culmination of a dream that I didn't even think was really possible to start as a kid who's played on the pond that went to school and then to come full circle and then to win it. I can live 10 lifetimes and I'm not sure anything, even one of the national championship in basketball, because being a hockey player and a coach in my hometown to win that um, mm. is unmatched by far. So, I, I mean, I'm living the, I told my wife after that, I remember I couldn't sleep all night. I remember laying in beds and I said, this is a, this is a culmination of my career from a, from an athletic standpoint. I put that aside, but now my vision is how do we create the best school relative to academics and respect and anti-racism and mental health, all the things that are more important than winning championships. Like, I'm good with that. Yeah. I want to do this because this is harder. This is actually harder work, believe it or not, than winning the championship. <laughs> I, yeah. I, and I think it also speaks to, you know, I, people are calling it the David and Goliath of college hockey, that game specifically, and just kind of how that 3-1 deficit went like that. Um, so quickly. Um, but I think, I think um, David and the story here has really become more of a Goliath. I mean, the team has gone to um, five, six consecutive um, yeah. NCAA tournaments. And I, you know, coach Lehman has done an incredible job and we talked about it earlier, you know, once you win, you gotta, you gotta keep going back and keep going back and keep gaining that respect. And I think that's, that's kind of also um, a great way to, to look at it. Right. You got that. You made, you made that peak moment, but look at you. Look at your team now. They're still going back. So when still still contending for championships. Yeah, I always wanted to make Providence College a destination and not a stepping stone. Nate's the best hockey coach in the country. He may leave someday, take an NHL job, but the fact he chooses to stay and it turns down the Michigan job tells you that yeah. Providence has arrived on the national stage relative to coaches. It was the best 24 hours in recruiting for Coach Pooley when that whole thing was going on. <laughs> but um, another thing that I, I like to, to bring up, you, you know, you, you say you have some amazing teammates in Friartown, as you like to call them, your coaches um, for your teams. As an athletic director, what's, what do you look for um, in, a, in a person's personality or coaching habits or coaching, like whatever it is, um, when you look to bring on new staff members or, you know, onto the, onto the team or into this, into this organization? Well, I've made a lot of mistakes. I've learned over my life what's the right fit for me. I've, I've hired the national coach of the year, and, and he wasn't successful at all. So it hasn't got anything to do with what, what they've done previously. What I, I, I've gone back to, I get attracted to people with energy and passion, right? So I'm, I'm an energy passion guy. And when I'm around people that are flatliners, I kind of struggle. Because I, I, to be successful, you've got to have a, a drive to get up and get after it, particularly in our world of competition. Uh, I'm not saying you can't do it in a different way, but the people I like is when I'm in the room with them and I have the conversation with them, it's like this conversation, I'm sparked by it, right? You ask great questions, you know the history. It's like, all right, he's on his game. I mean, he, you, you, you've talked about stuff that most people don't know. So energy and passion. Then I want somebody that's really smart. You know, you can't teach smart, either you're smart or you're not. And then that's sometimes a, a gift you have. Like Nate Lehman's one of the smartest people I've ever been around. He's got an engineering degree. I mean, he could go out and do something else totally different. Uh, Ed has people smarts beyond anything I've ever seen, a social gift. 
that I've never seen before. So, um, so energy and passion, loyalty. I got to have people that are honest. You know, I don't do well with people that tell me one thing and do something else. Um, I want people that are tough and gritty because you're going to lose. And I want to see how you're going to react when your back's against the wall. Anybody can yeah. be happy and great when you're winning. But really, what do you like when you're losing? Are you kicking the dog and screaming at people? Or are you looking out and saying, hey, it's on me. I take full responsibility and I'm going to get it right. And I think the last one is self-awareness. I mean, people have to be self-aware enough to know when things aren't going well and don't make excuses and don't blame it on somebody else or I need a new pool or I need it. Just say, listen, I'm responsible. I haven't got it done. I'm going to do these three things and we're going to get there. I'm good. So self-awareness is really important because if you're not failing along the way, you're not learning. And, and I'm okay with people failing as so long as they learn something from it. So I think off the top of my head, those are the things I really look for. I like that. That's, I mean, that's those three things that, I mean, that makes pretty much a good person anywhere, whether it's college sports or sales mm -hmm. or whatever, but that's, mm -hmm. I, those are three really good values to live by. Mm -hmm. um, so what's, what's the next big thing for Friartown? I know like, I, it's kind of a, a big question to ask, but I know you got the Ruane Fryer Development Center and that whole project's really coming together. But is there a goal that you have as you kind of, you know, you're entering your 20th year that you see Providence having in the future? Well, the most important one is to lead this program and help lead the college through probably the most challenging time in the history of sport and for the college, right? Mm -hmm. Um, this pandemic is unprecedented. You can't go back and say, well, this is what we did last time. You're leading day to day, moment to moment. So this is the biggest challenge in my life. And I said to my department when we were in it, I said, we've prepared and I've prepared my entire life for this moment. You can either run and hide and use excuses and panic, or you can use what I call this growth mindset. What are we going to learn from this breakdown? Because breakdowns create breakthroughs. And there are things we're learning. Like I'm conducting meetings on Zoom. I'm more productive doing this than the waste of time and stuff. So there's things with that I'm, we're learning through this that the old ways probably will never come back. But right. this, is, this is, I look at this as at least a two-year process to get back to whatever the new normal is. And yeah. how we make our decisions and lead right now is the most important thing. So that's foremost in my mind, but at the same time, continue to coach young people and teach people because they're in a tough spot right now. They're really nervous about their lives and their career. And our job is to reassure them that this too shall pass. And it right. really will, but this is your life. You don't want to waste the moments worrying. Don't worry about the stuff you don't control. Just worry about the stuff you do control. And that's your health, your fitness, your mental attitude. Um, I told my people, don't be sitting at home eating bonbons and drinking beer. Get up and get after it because this is your life. So I think this is my biggest challenge right now and I'm up for it. Yeah, I, I think you hit it right on the head. Just like the fact that every day has brought new challenges. And um, like you said, there's no book on this. There's no, this is how we did it last time. So, you know, every single day is a new challenge. And I think, um, yeah, a lot of programs are going to really either come out of this headstrong or it's going to, it's gonna, I mean, it's going to affect people no matter what, but I think the, the leadership is definitely the ones that are going to lead the, lead the right programs into the right direction. And how you treat people during these times is the most important. Even if you have to lay people off or cut salaries, you need to do it with dignity and respect. You need to be part of that. You've got to be willing to take some of that hit. 
Um, mm -hmm. Leaders have to take pay cuts and stuff. So you've got to be a team through this all because people remember that. And when you come out the other side, if you treated them poorly or you just kind of just told them through a letter, you're not going to be around. When they do come back, they're not going to be loyal and committed because my big worry is the culture because that took years to build and we can't use that. So I spend my time calling coaches and reaching out to student athletes and trying to keep that positive energy we all have going. And we need it now more than ever. 100%, absolutely. Well, Bob, I, I know you have to jump here in, in, in just a few minutes. Um, this has been really great. I really appreciate everything that you've, you've said and, and, and especially all the comments that you've made about me. I did not expect that. But um, I do have one last question for you. I like to ask it to all my guests. And as you know, you're, like you said, you've been in sports for almost 50 years. You've done amazing things at Providence, at Berkeley, and everywhere that you've touched. If you had an autobiography of everything that you did. And if, if you wrote an autobiography, what would be the title of your autobiography and why? Hmm. Oh, that's a really good question. I think, I think the title would be um, a good man that cared more about others than himself. And what was the other part of the question? Yeah. So the name of the title and why? Oh, um, because I, being a person of character and integrity is really important to me. I, mm -hmm. I don't care about awards or anything else. I, I want, if I can live a life where people feel as though I'm an accountable person, my word means something. And that I've, and this sounds corny, but the people that I've touched, I've shared something or I've taught them something or I've, um, created something that makes their life better. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And you make me feel that. The fact that you, you wanted to talk to me because you thought I had something of value to say um, gives me a great sense of pride and fulfillment to know I'm living a life of purpose. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. And I, I, I applaud everything that you've done for Providence, everything that you've done for the Friartown community. And, and it's really been, it was, I, I, I wouldn't trade the experience for anything. It, it was, um, it was, it was the best thing that happened to me, but yeah, from a, from a kid growing up in SoCal, I never thought I would be going to a small school in New England to swim, um, you know, especially just the weather. Uh, but uh, you know, like you said, you wanted to go to California, but it, it was, I'll, I wouldn't trade it for the world. So I really appreciate everything that you've done for PC and everything that you're continuing to do for PC. Well, thank you. And, and, I, and I, I say this from the bottom of my heart, if I can ever help you or if you ever need anything or, you know, I'm here for you, I'll be, I'll be your teammate for life for as long as I'm, I'm on the planet. And I mean that sincerely. And that's, that's the gift that I want to give. And I know that you'll give that back. And that's pretty powerful, right? It's like the power exactly. of hope. Yeah, it's it's definitely something special for Friartown specifically. I think that the connection that student athletes have to PC is something that is unmatched by a lot of programs. Yeah, because the people, right? It's people like yeah, you, people exactly. like me, and there's a the whole bunch of them, right? The whole bunch. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, Bob, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. And I will definitely keep in touch. And I wish you the absolute best of luck in everything that's going on. You're a good man. Go Friars. Have a great night. Go Friars. You too. Bye-bye. So we have a little bit of some bonus content for you guys today. If you saw the title or if you read the description of this episode, you know that I have 
a short little interview with the one and only Friar Dom. Now, for all of my non-Providence College people out there, Friar Dom is the official mascot of Providence College, but it is also voted by ESPN as the scariest mascot in the NCAA. Now, we do not know how this ranking was selected. We do not know how this voting happened. All we do know is that ESPN has rated Friar Dom as the scariest mascot in the entire NCAA. So I got to sit down with uh, one of the lucky individuals who have been under the mask, who has been uh, on the floor, on the court, on the field as Friar Dom, and they share some pretty exciting stuff and some pretty interesting stuff through the lenses of the one and only uh, Friar Dom. So without further ado, here is a little bonus interview with the Friar Dom. All right. Well, I want to welcome on the one and only Friar Dom. Well, she will say that there's three Friar Doms, but we do have my good friend, Shay Saturno. Friar Dom, Shay, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I never thought I would be on the podcast, Jared. (laughs) I know you're an avid fan of the podcast, so I had to bring you on because... Well, there's I don't I don't know any other Friar Dom, so I'm really excited to get to ask you some of these questions. Are you ready? So ready. Awesome. Okay, so take us back to was it your junior year that this all happened? Okay, so for those of you who don't know Shay, this wasn't voluntarily that you wanted to be Friar Dom, correct? Correct. So how did it come to be? Like how did, what, what what was the whole process of you trying out to be Friar Dom? So it was actually one day I was sitting in Slavin and a friend of mine had sent me the email um, that, you know, they were looking for tryouts. They were looking for, you know, people to try out to be the mascot. And they were like, oh, funny, wouldn't it be funny if you tried out? And I said, no way. And so they challenged me to a game of odds, which I'm sure everybody's super familiar with, um, and I lost. So I decided, okay, I followed through with my bets. I'm going to go. So I went to the mascot tryouts and it was embarrassing i thank god there wasn't any cameras or anybody else in the room except for the three people that eventually ended up taking me onto the team um but it was i went through with it and unbeknownst to me they thought i i was good enough to be the mascot so then got the job so what were, what were the odds one and what i think it was one in 15 oh, it was pretty low oh geez oh geez <laughs> pretty low i was confident at the time and what were what what constituted a tryout? What were some of the things they had you do? So one, the one thing I remember was that it, they made you do improv. So you had to put on the suit. Um, that was one thing. So they give you situational, you know, scenarios. So like, oh, someone makes a three. Someone makes a game-winning shot. Which actually, my friend uh, Molly McCormick, going to give her a shout out, actually helped me train for it the night before. So that was actually kind of funny. Um, but. Then they had you do, they gave you certain equipment, like sports equipment, and you couldn't use it for its original purpose. So if you had a basketball, you couldn't dribble it. So I took a back, a helmet, and I put it on my back, and I took a lacrosse stick, and I started riding around like a horse to Womanizer by Britney Spears. What a great, did you pick that song? Nope, no. That, that song was chosen <laughs> that was for you chosen. at Providence College. That was just chosen. Oh, so, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, that was something else. <laughs> um, what? So, what was the craziest sporting moment you had in the suit, would you say? Um, The craziest sporting moment, um, I would have to say there's two. One was me outside suit, one was me in the suit. In the suit, I was at the men's basketball game, and they came up to me and they were like, you have to do the halftime show. I was like, okay, what's the halftime show? It was Dizzy Bat, and then I had to shoot a layup. I was going against one of the students, 
did dizzy bad. It was so hard because her head's like knocking around in the suits because it's so big. And I got so dizzy that I kept shooting the ball, even though it went in. They didn't tell me till like two minutes later that I had already won. So I just kept shooting it and then I fell over. <laughs> so everyone thought it was part of an act when in reality I actually fell. So, you know, it worked out for the best, honestly, but it was, it was fun. And then the second best, um, we were actually hosting, um, a, we were going to a two-year-old's birthday party with me and my colleague. I drove her, she was in Huxley. And when we came back, it was just the beginning of springtime senior year. So everybody was out on Eaton Street, you know, having a good time. So we were like, you know what? We're going to go stop at each house. So we stopped at each house and took pictures with, like, crowds of people um, in the suit. And everyone was freaking out because it was the end of senior year. So they were like, oh, the mascot, like, is here, you know, whatever. And it was a lot of fun. That, at that, I thought, was a really cool moment. Now, did you like doing the sporting events more or the kids' birthday parties? I liked the events more. I liked the events. I thought it was fun getting to interact with the students. And, um, you know, a lot of my friends would come, and that was comical in itself. So it was, I definitely liked the events and being more interactive with students. Yeah. Now, ESPN has rated Friar Dom as the scariest mascot of all time. Having been behind the head or under the head, I don't know what the, what the best terminology there would be. Why do you think people are so afraid of Friar Dom, and is he all that scary? Uh, is he all that scary? Well, all you have to do is look it up to understand what we're talking about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, but I have told my coworkers, like, they see on my resume, like, oh, you were a mascot? Like, what mascot were you? Were you? What's not like I'm, like, a warrior or a wildcat where you can kind of have a picture of it in your head? Right. I was like, oh, I was a friar. And they're like, what's that? I said, just look it up. And they're all like, oh, God. <laughs> like, what is that? I don't know if it's like the piercing eyes or the weird grin that the I thing think, has. I think it might be the smile. I think it's really just creepy. <laughs> the yeah. whole thing in general. But and it's a friar. You don't really see much else like that. So <laughs> there's nothing else like it. Right. Um, so what is because so obviously being friar dom, but also being a student, you got to witness sporting events in another lens, obviously. But do you have one sporting event? that you work for Friar Dom that you wish you were Friar Dom at? The Big East Tournament, 100%. I, I really wish I could have gone. Did you miss the bus, or how did they pick who got to go as Friar Dom <laughs> to the Big East Tournament? I'm pretty sure it was based off of ability, and clearly my ability was not there, so they definitely picked someone who had more talent, and I totally agree with that. So maybe I'll work, my <laughs> work on my expertise, I guess you could say. <laughs> Um, so obviously a big question, I don't know if everyone has this question, but I feel like as a student, you always wonder like how bad, how smelly is it in that suit or how much did you really like sweat? Take me through like how much sweat did Shay have from an entire basketball game? Oh, it was so bad. Not only was it your sweat, it was the person who wore it before you. So it was, especially during COVID times, this is the perfect thing to talk about. Now they probably would never have any of this happen. But basically, it smelled like B.O. and like sweat. It was so gross. And you have to wear like a swim cap over your head to fit into the helmet. So you strap yourself in. And it was it was basically like the neck of it was damp when you would put it on. Oh, it's super, super disturbing and gross. And I honestly don't know why I did it. I can't tell you. why. Well, you did it because you lost a bet. I did lose a bet, and it was my job now at this point. <laughs> so. so I guess my last question for you is, do you regret doing it? And if you could do it again, would you? 
Absolutely, I would do it again. Um, I think just it was really in, like fun to just kind of be. I'm a goofy person, you know me. I'm a very goofy person, um, and to be able to express myself without anybody else like knowing who I am. So I could be an awful dancer on the court, and people are like, "Oh, it's just the mascot." In reality, if they just saw me dancing there, they'd be like, "This girl's crazy." <laughs> like, what is exactly. this? Um, but it was a lot of fun, and I just enjoy making people laugh. So it was something I would definitely do again, and it was an, it was really fun to just be a part of PC in a different way. Definitely. I like to call myself an athlete at points. <laughs> well, I would say you were definitely an athlete if you were sweating that much in that suit. So. Shay, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And this was, this was a lot of fun. Of course, I will continue to be your top listener. So a huge thanks to two Friartown legends for coming on today's podcast, both Bob Driscoll and Friar Dom. You know, Bob was definitely someone at the top of my list when I first started this podcast on who to interview. Uh, you know, obviously as a student athlete, I learned a lot from him from four years of being at Providence, but I think now on this new platform, in this new stage of my life, in this next chapter that I'm writing beyond sports, as we talked about with Garrett, it was really interesting to learn about the goals that he has put in place um, and the things that he has done to get to where he is today. And I think there's a lot to learn from him, and I don't think you have to be a fan of college sports, a fan of Providence a fan of sports in general to to take from him right taking something from the ground up and building it into something that you've envisioned right is really something special a lot of people have goals in mind and goals in place that they want to achieve and it's all about you know really having that mindset to accomplish what's next but also you know having a team around you that are striving for the same goal so really a lot to learn from bob and i'm so thankful that he came on today's show to talk about that but that does it for this week's episode and that does it for month one of the normal guy lazy eye podcast a huge shout out to you all for following along supporting this podcast sharing it with your friends i really really appreciate it it would be awesome if you guys left a review on apple Podcasts. let me know how i'm doing uh, you know, follow us along on Instagram at normal guy lazy eye, or feel free to shoot me an email. Let me know how you like the podcast, what you want to see more of, what you think I should change. I'm all ears and I would love to hear all your feedback on this. And I'm super excited to get next month going. And the interviews that we have are really, really exciting. I'll give you a little bit of a sneak peek. Um, you know, September is childhood cancer awareness month, something that has been very near and dear to my heart. So to start the month off, we have a very, very special interview um, that talks a little bit about childhood cancer. And um, it's just a very, very special interview. So I don't want to give it away. But again, huge thanks to you guys all for supporting this podcast. Feel free to share it with a friend, share it with a coworker, share it with your parents. Um, but that does it for this week's episode. And I will see you all next Wednesday. <laughs>